Let's go. What's up, everybody? And welcome to Binge Town TV. We're so pumped for our fifth and final installment of the Flanagan series in the Flaniverse. We're here to talk episodes one and two of the fall of the House of Usher titled A Midnight Dreary and The Mask of the Red Death. And I know the squad is pumped. It's the same four as it's always been. Paul's not on this episode right now, but I'm Kathleen. We've got Luke and Jimmy here. Paul will be joining us for the next few episodes. We're going to cover them two at a time, just like we've done on all the other series, Hill House, Bly Matter, Midnight Mass, Midnight Club. Mm-hmm. And we're so pumped. So before we get into just general thoughts, because I know we're all buzzing. We have like electricity coursing through our veins. It's October. We have a new Flanagan show. It's everything. Just want to say a little housekeeping. If you're listening on the fall of the House of Usher specific feed, if you found us there by searching on Apple or Spotify or whatever, um, best thing you could do is hit subscribe. But we are Binge Town TV. So if you want to go to our main feed and subscribe to that, we're also covering all kinds of other shows. Like right now we're doing Survivor. We're doing Gen V, the boys spinoff. We just finished Wheel of Time and One Piece. And we've been doing this for a year. So we've been covering, you know, we have tens of 20s of shows or whatever. So hit subscribe. You won't be disappointed. All right, boys, let's get into the episode. I will start by saying again, just the cast alone is enough to make me just like electricity through my veins. I was texting the boys. I watched the episode first. I was absolutely buzzing. So pumped. I think this is so good. I think the parallels to Hill House are very similar. You know, it's like a family. I think every episode is going to be a death of one of the kids. That's not how Hill House was, but it was like everyone got their own episode. So I'm really just fucking excited to be here and talk to you guys. So how do you guys feel? Kathleen, you nailed it. The first thing I was going to say is the loyal Flanagan to his cast. Right. And Mm -hmm. let's just hope that Willa Fitzgerald becomes one of the Flanagan loyalists because right. we love Willa Fitzgerald on this podcast. We watched episodes one and two. Thankfully, you know, thank you to Netflix. We had the screeners. Kathleen and Luke both didn't watch the trailer. So there was a lot of surprises for them, but it's packed. We go through these first two episodes and you're just nailing one, two, three, four. Every <laughs> Flanagan person you love. The only one mm-hmm. we're missing, Luke, is your favorite. Nell is in here. Yeah, Victoria, but just I don't even need to to list them off. But gosh, having them all here is is awesome. I read from a few reviews, non-spoiler reviews before we jumped on the screeners that this could be as good or better than The Haunting of Hill House. And it could be uh, one of the best Netflix original shows in general, not just a Flanagan show. We've only seen two episodes. It's going to take a lot for me to say it's better than Hill House. But so far, my goodness, it's wild. It's horror, but it's not hard. Just like every Flanagan TV show that you can ask for. He always makes it 15 different genres. And I am having so much fun with it. I can't wait to talk about it. Luke, let us know what you think. This is the perfect Flanagan show to end because of all the buildup of all these cast members that we're talking about that we love so much. Because if this came out first, I don't know how much how much excitement I would have because I'm so attached to these Flanagan actors. But yeah, this was a great start. And yet when Jimmy, you texted us saying there were some early reviews saying this could be the best Netflix original ever. The bar is through the roof. And like Kathleen, I didn't, I didn't mess with any of the promotional material except for some of the stills that were just naturally coming out in social media. And all of it was hot mama, basically. Yeah. uh, Give me the last name, Carla. Gugino. 
Gugino, yeah, I can never pronounce it. But <laughs> she was the one I knew like was going to be the face of, I don't want to say like the ghost or the evil of the series because every still you saw, she has like the black eyes, like the classic ghost kind of guidance yeah. through this season. And I couldn't be happier that she's getting so highlighted in this show. And she's going to be one of my favorite pieces of every episode because I'm sure she's going to be a presence in every episode. But so far, so good. Great start. Um, a little bit predictable in episode two. I'm sure, Jimmy, you probably had it pegged a mile away. I knew the second they said that we're going to connect into those, you yeah. know, like some of some of it's predictable, but some of that's like the beauty of it because it's predictable because it's so well written to be that way. And I think mm -hmm. no misses yet. All the actors are great. I love um, what's his name in this show. I'm, we're going to be all over the Raul place. Raul Coley. Me. I was going to say Raul, but then I was also going to bring up Frederick. Oh, right. Fred oh, Henry Thomas, Thomas, baby. Henry Thomas is so goofy and Broderick. he was extremely goofy in uh, Midnight Club in his little scene. But he's also goofy in here with his ponytail. Like He's just yeah. great to see on the screen. They're all so good and they make me happy. I'm happy to break down the episodes, though. So let's get into it. Go check yeah, out just... our um, our interview oh, with Henry yeah. Thomas. Yeah, so we talked to Henry Thomas in between Midnight Mass and Midnight Club, I believe. Right. Or was uh, it Bly and Midnight Mass? I think it was Bly. And Midnight no, I think Mass. it was Bly and Midnight Mass. But yeah, yeah. Luke already brought it up. We may accidentally throughout this podcast call Carla Gugino's character Hot Mama. If you yeah. guys aren't fans of Binge Town, we've been doing this for three years. Like Kathleen said, we covered Haunting of Hill House and affectionately we called her Hot <laughs> Mama because she's the mother in Haunting of Hill House. So that's our little nickname for her. So if we accidentally call her that, that's who we're talking about. If you're a new mm -hmm. listener. I will just say yeah. it is so funny and sort of fucked up of Flanagan to give us Midnight Club with all these children and then be like, and now they're fucking the adults. <laughs> yeah, all these right? kids are fucking, fucking adults. I mean, they're all in their 20s, obviously, but it was cracking me up. I'm like, Anya can't be Roderick's wife. <laughs> I thought yeah. it was like, what before we saw the granddaughter and knew who it was, I thought Juno was going to be the granddaughter that was like Freddie's kid or whatever, but it's not. Okay, let's get started. So in uh, the first episode, um, we have this like really sexy, like Roderick and Augie, big, bad criminal spilling all the beans to the cop. Right. And that is just sexy to me. Like, I love someone who has all of the like criminal charges against him. And he's like, let me spin you a tail. And I'm like, yeah. I'm sitting, I'm seated. I'm ready to be gagged by this. So in the beginning, in the first episode, the like culmination of the first episode really happens on New Year's night. And so in the beginning, the first thing you see when the episode opens was like ticking down to New Year's Day. And then we cut to the funeral. We have Roderick and we have his granddaughter. And first of all, when they call him Grampus, I'm like, what year is it? I'm like, what yeah. the fuck? This is the Edgar Allan Poe, isn't it? it? It's it's in normal time, obviously. Uh, we it's get actually cuts. a little bit ahead. It's actually no, yeah, they, November. They do a timestamp of November of 2023. Yeah. So let's lots of different cuts to like crow sounds and scary imagery, which like doesn't pay off quite yet. But here's where like the Paps are here. It, they're Roderick's and Madeline are obviously this like huge family, big in the news. And then we get all the flashes of the newspaper clippings of everyone dying, all of the kids. So you guys cool with me ripping through the cast really quick? All right. Let it rip. So we've got Roderick Usher, who is the CEO, and then Madeline Usher, who's the CEO. And they are siblings. So first I thought they were going to be married, but they are not. They are siblings. Then we've got Arthur Pym, the Pym Reaper, who's the lead attorney and just like obviously a huge scumbag. Love him. Mark Love Hamill. Him. My gosh. Luke Skywalker, it. baby. I know, yeah. right? It's fucking insane cast. And then, okay, and I'm going to go 
in order of the death. So we've we're covering one through two. If you haven't seen episode two yet, you're going to get spoiled. So you might want to go watch episode two. Prospero Usher, a.k.a. Perry, died on November 9th in a freak accident, which we have seen. Everyone hates Perry. He's the guy just trying to open clubs. He was a mesh in Midnight Club, so he's a returning character. Then we've got Camille, and then she has a different name. It's hard because we had the um, yeah, embargo it's, it's thing Le, on top. Le Espinay. Yeah. It's like L apostrophe okay. Le Espinay. But yeah, we have the screener, so even the subtitles are off. Yeah. And I, I will say, I say this on every Flanagan, I got spoiled for Bly Matter when I IMDb'd something, so I'm never yeah, IMDb'd not IMDb, again. yeah. Okay, so uh, she died on 11-11, which is sad, because I feel like her episode's going to be next. I want Kate I want yeah. Kate Siegel to be in every episode. She's so hot so with this white hair. It's yeah, so crazy. She's so good. So it's an heiress killed in gruesome incident on the paper. Then we've got Napoleon Usher, a.k.a. Leo, my boy, your uncle. I love him so much. He died on the 13th. And then it said suicide of the gaming prince. Next, we have Victorine, uh, who is Hannah from from Bly Manor. We all fucking loved Hannah. Uh, Murder, suicide rocks the Usher family, meaning Victorine and Alessandra, her girlfriend or or partner or whatever it is. Then we've got Tamerlane Usher dead in bizarre tragedy. Another one of our girls. She was in Midnight Club and she was Stephen's wife in in Hill House. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's the fifth fatality. And then last is is Freddie Boy, our boy, Henry Thomas with a ponytail, um, November 18th. So I think the funeral, this may be like the 20th where we're having this. It's only been a few days after where Augie, the assistant U.S. attorney is C. Augusta Dupin, a.k.a. Augie. And, you know, he visits, he's drinking the million dollar cognac and we're getting into it. So before we dive into all that, let's. You know, any comments you have on all of that stuff? Let's what are we coining the FBI investigator as or not FBI? Augie. Remember? Augie. We're going to call. Yeah, Augie. that's what okay. they call him. And it, and okay. they do have that in like parentheses if you listen on or watch on closed captions. Um, He is going to be a great presence. I can already tell because the, the punchline at the end of episode eight is going to be all about his reaction to this story, like in this room, kind of how Flanagan works. And I like that we even got a little bit of his backstory. We'll talk about that, too, because he was mm-hmm. swat. Like, he was a great, like, just go-getter. And I'm watching Suits kind of gives me vibes of, like, the, <laughs> the guy, the main character there. Just a go-getter, like, young, trying to come up in the investigative make world and make his... Yeah, exactly. Make his mark. So he's at the end of his, like, veteran career. And it's nice because he's going to obviously book Roderick at the end of this series. So I like this back and forth. It anchors us to reality. And it's just a good way to present all of this in hindsight. I think that... <laughs> If I just list these people and talk about how much I love them, we could talk for five hours. Yeah. So I guess as we go on through the episodes, when they have a great scene or something, we can yeah. gush and talk about how much we love them. But they just ooze charisma. Each one. <laughs> it's unbelievable, especially Raul. Like him being Napoleon is killing it for me. <laughs> It is it is so good. I, I but yeah, Kathleen, get started because it, I'll just okay. keep rattling them off. Let's talk about how everyone's gay. Augie's gay. Leo's gay. Every I single mean, every gay. single character, right? <laughs> They're almost every all of them are character. at least Except in like a polyamorous. So far, right. So far, only Frederick. Right? Because I think every other character we've seen is either um has a partner or is playing that Fluid. playing both sides. Yeah. yeah. So um 
Napoleon with his, you know, yes. with his whole scene where he's just sitting there talking to his boyfriend on the phone. And then all of a sudden the girl comes up from from under the screen. Like, my gosh, hilarious. As he's playing Mortal Kombat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah. was that Mortal Kombat? I yeah. love that. I, I love how love you that. said earlier, Kathleen, fatalities, all these fatalities. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of Mortal Kombat right away. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Augie sits down first. Roderick has to waive his right to attorney. So this whole part is basically just saying like, He's going to give a confession to all 73 charges. It's really setting the scene of how bad of a guy. And this is like really relevant to real life. I think Flanagan does that so well. Like pharmaceutical people and companies are fucking terrible. Like they're millions of people have died. This is all basically based in fact in real life. Like just because it's not Fortunato company, it's this or that or whatever. Like any right. pharmaceutical shit you watch, it's so terrible. Um, So I love that he's like attacking them for this, really. It's like they're such pieces of shit. So it's good stuff. And he's going to tell Augie how they died. Um, But first we get a flashback to 1953 um, where you, I guess, first find out that Madeline and Roderick are siblings. And then we get Mrs. Dudley as mm-hmm. Eliza. And another alum. Mother. I and, know. And another alum. I love it. We see the, the sister as uh, um, a young. Young Cheryl. Cheryl from Haunting mm-hmm. a Hill House. Amazing. Yep. Basically, the story here is that she was the personal personal secretary of the CEO of this pharmaceutical company. So the pharmaceutical company they eventually own, William Longfellow, she worked for him specifically. He was a piece of shit, Mr. Dudley, man. Normally he's like inspiring and like telling these big speeches and he was like a real piece of shit in this one. So everyone's getting to play all different kinds of characters. Anything you guys want to talk about? Like, I want to specifically get into the grave digging of it all. Like, that's where I want to focus. But like, Anything on on Eliza, the kids, anything? My only thing I want to just put out there is that I was getting hints that Mr. Longfellow was the father of these two in some okay. way, like was like because there was some weird non-dialogue dialogue parts between Mr. Longfellow and the mom. So there's something more there. We got to get a little bit more information about the background because I don't know. I felt like there there could have been more there. And I don't know how that would play in or matter at all. But it seems like there's there's something weird because they're also talking about the dad constantly. And I don't necessarily mm, yeah. know if we have any information on that yet. But that's the only piece I wanted to bring up. I love that, Luke. I was going to say the same thing. She has a, a circumstance where she tells her kids, you will not go onto his property. When he sees them, he freaks out. He doesn't yeah. want it seems like he doesn't want the wife to see them. Later in episode two, when we get the flashback with QB one talking to his wife, I guess I I guess that's his first wife, the mother of the first child and his sister. And she brings up like, you know, and your dad and and she's like, oh, you told him, you know, that kind of stuff. It just Mm -hmm. seems perfect that he would be the father. So, Mm -hmm. Luke, I love that. you You said first kid, but wasn't there two kids in that scene later? Like we saw the little. Yeah. Was that oh, Maddie's so the, kid or was uh, that so the, it's it would be it would be Frederick probably and also um probably Tamerlane. Kate Siegel. Oh, okay. Oh. Tamerlane. Oh no, well no, because if you said the heiress died in the in the clipping, yes. it probably should be Kate Siegel's character. Yeah. Yeah. Camille. Because they, they do say um he later says six kids, five mothers, so that makes sense. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, she's an alum too, just FYI. The mother, she's a couple stars. She's like the crazy um oh my ghost gosh. from Hill House. Yeah. And she's also they, in she's in a few different ones. Every time she's in one of these shows, I don't recognize her. 
It's crazy. She's always done up differently. This is like the first time she's like purely natural. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. This is where the horror is starting to come in. Mm -hmm. And it's obviously, you know, crazy that we have the mother who was super religious. Don't give me any medicine. Don't give me any care. And then it turns out that her two children get corrupted and become huge on pharmaceuticals. And whether it's true or not, QB1, when he has his, I guess I can't really call him that. So young Roderick, when he has his pitch in episode two, when he says, you know, I watched my mother basically deteriorate in so much pain and blah, 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 whether that's a true statement or not, we don't know how much of a bullshitter Roderick is, but that was probably one of his big inspirations and motivations to start this company, besides the fact that he wanted to become a big dog in the world. You know, just having his mom just deteriorate and be in so much pain towards the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he he pitched that beautifully in episode two when he was like, I mean, the, the one thing you should do when you're pitching something to a man, like someone with a God complex is to be like, you're going to be the Messiah and then give like a sob yeah. story at the end of it to make it feel like, oh, man, this guy's really in it for for a good reason. And man, hook, yeah. line and fucking sinker. But anyway, back to this. <clears throat> something we didn't see was so uh the first scene is 1953 and then we jumped to 62 when she's sick so somewhere in there she gets sick but i think something even worse happens between the dudleys i'll call them but more like eliza and william because it is like brutal when they go there he is just like even more scathing and fucked up than before and obviously we we have to talk about like uh them burying her and being like is that like what no one's gonna ask questions that you just buried your mom where's your mom now but i do want to talk about just madeline as a character is so fucking lit like her as young shirley her as willa and her as the older character which i forget um her actress's name she was from grace mary mcdonald mary mcdonald oh my god like what a fucking cool character like just a savage like almost sociopathic Oh, she's good. She's so good. And young Cheryl, it was really nice to see her again, like as in like an older teenager with like this, Mm -hmm. like, honestly, same kind of vibe as young Cheryl. She was very serious, too. But oh, it's good. It's good stuff. And this is kind of where I just want to point out one of my complaints, I guess, of these two episodes, besides the name too long. Hard to remember sometimes all the thes and the ofs, you know, whatever it was. (laughs) The only thing I want to take it up with Edgar Allan Poe. Exactly. Um. (laughs) Because when I was first writing the names down, I was missing a the somewhere out either way. What I wanted to bring up was I felt that there wasn't enough scary yet. But this part was actually scary with the mom. Like he's so good at these at the cinematography of this piece. Like you like you could see it coming a mile away when it when they follow the mom's foot prints back inside. And then Cheryl starts freaking out. And like you could tell a mile away it was going to be a jump scare kind of moment like that. Yeah. But it still felt good because this was like sort of I was getting possession exorcist vibes kind of mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh doesn't seem like we're going to lean that far into it. because She's, you know, we're already past that part. But overall, I want more horror and I'm sure we'll build up to it. But but so far, this was partially the scariest part of the first two episodes. I don't know. Is that what you, would you guys um, agree? So I was actually going to say that it was definitely less horror than I thought so far. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. tweeted on our Benstown account that this show is wild, especially after episode two. And then I said, it's not just horror. And it really is. And especially episode two, mm-hmm. 
by the time we were in, and I'm, I'm sorry to jump ahead, but we're in the club scene and it's towards the end of the episode, right before the big ending. And obviously Carla Gugino, her character Verna is horror, but I was like, there's nothing horror this entire episode so far. And then, you know, and it's still not really that horror, you know, the ending it's, it's horror, but it's not like the way you would think. There's the, I thought I, I loved is purely Flanagan when we have the mom behind Augie yeah. when they're mm-hmm. talking and he says, I'm not going to turn and you can see her walk away. Mm-hmm. And then of course, in episode two, we have Perry before we get the reveal yeah. of how he dies. We have him behind Augie as well. And th- those kind of things are awesome. And I, and I did think that when this scene happened, that this was going to be way more horror than I thought, and it actually yeah. goes reverse. It goes less hard, but it it was awesome. I, I really enjoyed it. And Kathleen, like you're saying, you know, 1953, I guess, you know, yeah, where's your mom? You know, she dies. They don't want to call the cops yeah. or go to the hospital, so they just <laughs> yeah. freaking dig a hole and bury her. I don't know, the but I mean, you're telling, me, <laughs> you're telling me that it's storming, lightning, we just buried our mom and we're sleeping in bed together. And I would not be sleeping that night. Your mom is dead in the backyard and it's storming and lightning out. I mean, that was pure horror where, you, you know, the lightning strikes, the thunder rumbles, the uh, young Roderick jumps up, looks outside. Holy shit. There's n- the grave is torn <laughs> up. Okay, so let's talk about this. Obviously, she was dead. Like, it's not like she, they they thought, oh, fuck, we buried our mom. She wasn't dead yet, and she had to climb her way out. No way. She was dead. But the interesting thing is, like, the parallels between the next episode when we get the young Al- young Augie, played by Malcolm Goodwin, who's my boy from iZombie, just like Raul Coley, they're best friends, so I love that they, like, oh, have this connection. Okay. Um, And so Malcolm, like, kind of got his start, like, with these bodies being exhumed. Obviously, that has something to do with the pharmaceuticals. Like, they were taking a certain drug, I'm sure. Like, part of me was like, are people taking this drug, like, coming alive and fucking, like, just digging out of graves and being crazy? Or is it just, like, the pharmaceutical company exhuming their bodies to, like, test on or something? Yeah. Saving their ass from because they died from the pharmaceuticals and it's in their bodies or they're using dead bodies but i would say just saving their ass that was my guess it's just an interesting parallel while while i mean it was pretty obvious that eliza did not want to take any drugs she was like god will do this for me god's my boy i will be cured by him he did not cure her but uh i mean i don't think she took any medicine so it's almost like what's why why did she come back alive It, it was giving she sleeps, she wakes, she walks from Bly Manor, like the footprints yeah. everywhere, mm-hmm. the mud footprints of fucking slabs. But I'm just really, really intrigued by that first one because Roderick himself says like this all started when pretty much on New Year's night, it's the first night they meet Hot Mama, but Eliza's been dead. So like, what is the origin of Eliza coming back alive to like just kill William Longfellow. Like, what do you guys think? What's your theory? That's 100% what I wanted to bring up now, because this is going to be probably a little bit of a tangent for us three, but this needed to be talked about of just what kicks off the quote unquote haunting of this family, because I agree, like that was the first sign of paranormal. And why Mm -hmm. would it specifically haunt the Usher family if the mom wasn't involved with, because my initial thought is that hot mama is like almost 
cosmic karma and she's out here to kill the all of the like that's why she was kind of in on murdering all of these high rollers in episode mm-hmm. two that were with perry because i think she's like this this embodiment of like karma and she's killing all these corrupt right. people and like jimmy even hinted at earlier they each probably have their own specific type of vice that is only relevant to the top one percent or the people that are you know all of this that that's kind of like what i'm leaning towards right now but why would it be following them when they didn't kick it off whatever was kicked off was a result of the mom dying like this and coming back to life so i have no idea like what breadcrumbs he's putting out there that could lead us to believe why this specific family is cursed when it would be more likely to feel like it was Mr. Long. What the fuck is his name? Again? Longfellow. Yeah. William Longfellow. And, it, and that could go back to if he was the original corruption, mm. if he's their father, then it yes. makes sense because then it yes. passes through the whole usher. That's like where I'm at right now. That tracks. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say that these first two episodes, I really don't have any issues at all. I really loved it, but there's a possible issue if we don't get an answer to why the mom came back to life for that moment. We and yeah. we, we have to, because it just seems so important. My guess would be maybe like you said, Luke, he's the father. So they're cursed through him. He was majorly corrupt. The mother loved him. He is uh, like, I mean, we, we get the scene where the kids jump over the fence and, he grabs at the mom, right? Or does he grab mm-hmm. at the kid or the mom? No, he grabs the mom. the mom and, you know, he's saying, what are they doing here? And then even Madeline is like, yo, bro, back off. Like, and then, and then um, Roderick says, like, even she knew back then there was a problem with him. Like he was acting with her like it would be somebody not like his worker, not his employee. And if she loved him and it might not be reciprocated, it obviously didn't seem reciprocated, but he just became the father you know he may have like i don't know tested some drugs on her or something and Mm. she would be like okay i'll do it because she loves him and she just wants to make him happy or something and maybe the drugs have something to do with it too but i don't know i just i really do like the curse how does that connect to the supernatural though that that connects to the logical reason of why like everything's corrupt and all that but how does that connect to hot mama i think i think i don't Okay, I think if you want my theory, I think Hot Mom is Mephisto. Like, I think they made a deal with the devil. That's that's my that's my theory. So I think that the night of, of New Year's Eve, they, you know, Verna is the bartender and Madeline and Roderick made a deal with the devil. And whether it's I'm in <laughs> as open I'm as in. yeah, that's it. Whether that's it's as open it as, hey, I'm the devil and let's make a deal. Obviously, it's not going to be like that. But I mean. It just seems it seems like Mephisto, like you get everything you want and then I'm going to slowly karma. Basically, I'm going to slowly take it away from you. And I don't know, though, where the mom and um, what's his name again? I'm sorry. Uh, William Longfellow. Longfellow. Yeah, William Longfellow come in unless he's just the the start of the I'm corrupt and I am the dad. You know, maybe he made the mom sick by the drugs, you know, but again, it's. Yeah, I don't know. That that's what I need the answer to. I need to know why she came back to life. Yeah. I know for a fact my Flanagan's gonna fuck us up with that one scene that tells us we're gonna be like, no fucking way. I can't wait. I can't wait. In yeah. Flanagan, we trust. Okay, yep. let's move to the trial. There's a few things in between, but we'll chug along to the trial. So this is the US 
versus Fortunato Pharma and the Usher crime family, which is like so sick. I love it. All these yeah. like fucker kids. I love them. They're all such pieces of shit. They're divine. I love watching them. They pop on on screen. But so this is the last time they were all together. Roderick says. Um, but basically you hear Augie do his like opening uh, like he is the U.S. and he does the opening speech and he's saying like 55,000 people died because of greed and violating regulations and ethics. It's a huge fraud case. And the big mic drop is there's an informant in the inner circle. Now, do you guys think he was lying? I think he made it up. I think there was no informant. He just wanted them all to turn on each other and see what happens. Because I really don't think there's going to be an informant. That's a really so, good thought because because Frederick in modern day, like the most recent timeline, eventually, I forget if it's in episode two or not, implies that he still never found out who the informant was even after everybody died. So that's actually a really good thought. I didn't even that didn't even cross my mind. But I do love the idea of there actually being one as a TV watcher. It makes it makes it more fun for us as podcasters and like try to, you're figure, trying to figure it out the whole time rather than it being like. Uh, there was no answer the whole because we don't like that. We like we like to predict and theorize rather than it just being outside the box answers. But I do. It does kind of make sense that that could be the route based on the dialogue later. Mm-hmm. It would be cool to find out that Augie, you know, we see it. Luke, you brought it up. You alluded to it. 1979. He's the go getter. He's the straight arrow, except for the fact that he's willing to cross the line and, you know, pretend to be a cop to try to you know, that's what he's getting in trouble for, even though he's not actually doing anything illegal. He's just saying, oh, you know, he saw the coat. He kind of just assumed and he let me in. You know, there's a scene where Roderick is speaking with Augie and it's the early scene. And he says, you haven't even gotten me in a room in all of these years. This is the yep. first time we're having a face to face talk. So to, mm-hmm. so it would be really cool to find out that Augie just decided, you know what? I can't beat them the straight arrow way. So I'm going to freaking bullshit them. And I'm going to lie about the informant to shake them. And I guess it's not illegal. It's just ethically wrong, right. I guess. Right. You, know, you know, so he ethically, morally lies, does something that he's not used to. He hasn't done in all these years. And that's what breaks them apart. I think that would be a cool answer. But like you said, Luke, I would love there to be somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Just because I can't really I don't know, though, like I so far in two episodes, they all just seem like crazy people but they don't seem like i can't figure out who the informant would be it's not perry i'll tell you that fuck not fucking perry okay so first of all i just wanted to shout out um bruce greenwood who plays roderick because he's fucking killing it like what a great addition he's a powerhouse as the like main main guy and narrator kind of of the show he's killing it but this is when we get flashes of all the different um, kids and like we get a little bit more information about them so I could just rip it. Yep. So we get Freddie. He's the suck up of the family. He's the firstborn. Um, he has a daughter, Lenore, and a wife who gets more obviously focused on in, in episode two. He's so goofy and funny in this role. I'm obsessed. Um, yep. Next, we've got Tamerlane. So she's played by Samantha Sloyan, like we said. She has a husband, Bill T. Wilson, and he has like that like workout like company built yeah. or whatever. So funny. Doesn't get along with Freddie. That's for damn sure. They all they all hate each other. Kind of is like how it goes. I don't think Pretty any much. of them are friends. But session vibes. Correct. And I was thinking. I didn't know what she meant by like, oh, I pushed the girl tonight. We're canceling it. I thought it was like, oh, it was just like a third. I had no idea it was going to be like role playing like we got in the second episode. I was like, man, these people are all like no kink shaming at all. But these people have their kinks. 
She's a cop, oh. right? What'd you say? Basically, she's like, what? she likes to watch. Oh. Yeah. Yes, precisely. So, but I wasn't, that's not what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was just going to be like, oh, I, like in succession when like they were going to have a third. And at one point, like um, Shiv and Tom were going to get a third on the boat at that one in that one scene. Like, that's just what I assumed it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one that surprised me the most was Kate Siegel's because I just didn't think that when she said, I need you guys over at my house before dinner. She just seemed like a full on, like I'm the boss. You're my employee. It didn't seem like it would yeah. be that. And then all of a sudden they walk in and she's talking yeah. and they're just in the background undressing. <laughs> I know in their skirts. I love their like kilts they're wearing. Yeah. Um, she looks so hot in the white hair. I can't stop saying she's it. So okay. Good. So Victorine is Hannah Gross played by Tania Miller. Um, her girlfriend or wife or whatever is Alessandra. They're the ones doing this like surgery with the devices. And we can kind of touch on it now if we want to dig into that stuff since we're already talking about it. Was the first the first thing they were doing was a monkey too, right? Like they're not doing human trials, right? I didn't realize it was no. a monkey until episode two. Oh yeah. So it we was always a monkey. Okay. Yeah. I didn't notice. So basically what we find out in these first two episodes especially through Perry's eyes is he tells us that each child gets a loan or gets mm-hmm. their, I don't know if it's technically a loan or if it's just here's some money, but they get a chance to pitch a business to their dad. And if he likes it, then they can move on and have this business and he'll give them the money for it. And you can tell that each person has their own business i mean raul coley is playing mortal Kombat, and they say the gamer so i'm guessing yeah. he's in the video game business but perry wanted to do, to do the, the nightclubs and vic she has this uh medical experimentation thing that she's doing and you know we also find out that roderick is very involved in this because he thinks i don't know if he knows for sure if he just thinks he might have that disease which is mm-hmm. the cardiovascular alzheimer's and he's pushing her pushing 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 to get the human trials because this heart mesh that she's trying to make is something that may help him at some mm-hmm. point bigger takeaway not bigger but a big takeaway from this scene that's definitely going to 100 come back into play is the talk about the new nightshade the new paralyzing powder that's potentially yeah. being used and this just kind of clicked right now what if the mom was given that and then she paralyzed herself and then so she never actually died so when mm. she was in the grave she kind of the paralyzing powder wore off and she got out that's the only thing i'm thinking about now connecting it to that that's cool. that paralyzing like that. if if that's not the reason that it's being brought up it's for sure going to be used to kill one of these kids at some point uh mm-hmm. but just that's just right there for i would assume it's going to be her like if it's going to yeah. kill any of the kids it would be her because right right it's all going to yeah, be yeah my other guess just really quick to go back and all i'm going to say is my original guess was that they were going to bury their mom alive and actually kill her like themselves you know like you were saying kathleen that they were thinking they buried her alive and she broke out. Like my guess was just going to be that she was alive and then they just killed her, you know, because they didn't realize that she was dead or she, they didn't realize she was still alive and they buried her. And I thought we were going to see a scene where she's like trying to get out and she's going to suffocate and die. Um, You know, just another, another guess that I had while we were watching, but she, obviously that's not how it went. She broke out and kills our boy. Yeah. Well, not our <laughs> yeah. boy in the show, but our boy in general. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so we already talked about Leo. Uh, Julius is his partner, and you know the girl giving him head was just fucking iconic. I was like, what, yeah. a, what a king. Um, but we some of his line reads in episode two were some of the funniest of like all the Flanagan shows. This is like the best things, but we'll get to they it were. when we get there. Um, Camille. Uh, seems like a PR girly, like Kate Siegel's character seems like just the PR girly. We've already talked about, um, her assistants and them fucking and stuff. Um, <laughs> and then we've get Juno reveal is the wife. So that shocked me to my core. She cracked me up in these episodes as well. She's just like so goofy and it just does not fit even for one second. Like the two of them together makes no sense. Um, yeah, and then- I, I, yeah, I feel like we're going to have to get more of a reason. Like, former heroin addict and she's she's dying from a car accident and she's telling the granddaughter like <laughs> yeah. oh you're the one who made the medicine i could just blow oh my bad <laughs> <laughs> she just doesn't seem like she would go with roderick and i i would love to see either flashbacks or separate scenes with madeline and roderick talking about juno because i feel like madeline's probably like come on bro what's going on here i think there's going to be something like she like the crash has something to do with one of the kids or something like that. Like the crash was caused by this Usher family in some way. Like there's gotta be, there's no way he just marries this girl or something with the medicine because she's been on an unprecedented dose of Ligadone. And then he was like probably impressed and was like, what the fuck? So we need to study her chemistry or something to to see how this like works or whatever. That's what I took it as the second one yeah. was that she's like basically a case study and they need to re- and they need to fi- use her to figure out how to perfect the drug to save him, I think, is part of it. OK, yeah. OK. So what you marry her to like keep her close as like an actual off the yeah. books case study or she could be into it like she's extremely addicted to this drug and will do anything to stay to keep getting it or something. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. All right. So. Any thoughts on this Dr. Donaldson character? Because he's eerie. He comes in and then Roderick seems bummed out. And I think that it's probably Dr. Donaldson being like, your test came back. This cardiovascular right. like uh, dementia or whatever is is progressing. And that's what I yeah. assume. But it is interesting. Like when he at the end of this episode, when he gets the nosebleed, they're like, only Dr. Donaldson. He's the only one they're allowed to see. What do you think? Why specifically do they only have this doctor? I th- I really love the like sell your soul to the devil type thing. And like Dr. Donaldson is in on it. And they maybe have like, I don't know, with like Madeline talking immortality 24 seven. There's something there that I'm like, who's this fucking doctor? And why is why can they only see this one guy? You know, there's so many secrets at like very face value surface level. If you're someone like Roderick Usher and Madeline Usher and you're so high profile, you don't want any other doctors than your own because it yeah. can get out to the press. True. What's wrong with you? That's so surface level. But I like that it could have something to do with just the circumstances of maybe Verna or their curse or something. But my take was that he's like the personal doctor that's in, it's like the mob. Like, you know, you have the chef and you have to have the certain people that might not be technically connected, but they are the only ones that you have around because you can't afford leaks or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, when he falls and he's bleeding, he says, you know, it's time, it's time. And she's saying, you know, block off the whole 
floor of the hospital and get us a private, keep it off the books and keep it out of the out of the police radar or whatever, the police calls or whatever. And, you know, only get this doctor. It just seemed like it was like more of a like, keep this thing a secret, even though the mm-hmm. press was all over it. And when he fell, they're <laughs> taking yeah. a million pictures. But I yeah. don't know. that makes total sense. OK, so. We get a few like scares uh, from Hot Mama. She's also like, I assume it's her with the, like the crow face up top at the funeral. Even though we don't get her face, it's got to be her. But let's talk family dinner. So the cake was so funny. Like they're like, oh, let me guess. Cake. Like it's like yeah. such a funny gag of being like, what the fuck is going on? Because earlier in the episode, she's like, this always cheers him up. <laughs> it's like the smallest and, little and- things. <laughs> Doesn't he say something like, I wish the loan was for your cake business or something? Or if yes. you were, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So the Pim Reaper hands out this like ironclad NDA, right? It's you forfeit your inheritance if you are the whistleblower or whatever. Um, they're going to basically kill you if you don't do it. And then Roddy offers 50 mil, which is, you know, to solve this. And it's going to start the bloodbath. But for some reason, I, when that happened, I was like, oh, the kids are going to kill each other. But it yeah. doesn't seem like that. It seems like they're all going to die in their own separate ways. Right. I mean, it's all like because of Roderick. But I, I'm i not sure. Do you guys have a guess on who it is or no? You don't. You don't the have informant? any guesses. Yeah. If I had to guess, I would say that your guess was my okay. top choice for this moment. Now I'm in with that, too, and I hate it. Yeah. It's less fun. <laughs> I it's, put it's one on the board like, anyway. Could, uh, okay, so my put on the board would be. I'm gonna say Madeline. Freddy. I'll say Madeline. Madeline. That's good because maybe she's mad at Roderick for going a different direction, and if he doesn't go her direction, she tears it down or something. But then she kind of incriminates herself. But well, I guess not. Like if you if you're the informant, you get. Okay, actually, I need to bring this up because I was dying. <laughs> I was cheesing like crazy when Fred Frederick's talking about the departed and they're saying that the, the <laughs> informant versus the mole and and uh, the daughter or is it the wife says like not everything's about the departed. And he's like, there's no other better movie than the departed. And that's just <laughs> speaking to me because it's my favorite movie ever. But I mean, she could literally be Jack Nicholson's character where she's the big dog. I think she's the COO and he's a CEO and the big dog can be the informant. And if for some reason we don't know yet that she's not in line with Roderick, maybe she wants to take it down and and then she's the last survivor just because, I mean, she, all these kids are freaking his, this whole family is his, he, she has no kids, right? So she could be like pissed at him for just like adding more and more people to this business that could screw them over. I mean, we have. Perry, like, I mean, she was pissed when Perry was doing the nightclub pitch, mm-hmm. you know, and then you have Napoleon, Leo or whatever. Some of them are just like some of them are more professional and some of them are like crazy. And she might just be like, this is ridiculous, bro. I've been dealing with your shit for years. You keep mm-hmm. having all these, you know, I, I I feel like Madeline could be a good answer. I like that answer. I'm going to stick with Freddie, though. I'll for me. just guess. Um who was the last one to die? Kathleen, do you have that timeline? Freddie. 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 Damn. Okay. Because I, I want to guess. Uh, I don't think it's anyone directly in the family. I think it's Vic's partner, um, Alejandra. Alessandra. She Alessandra. wanted She wanted the, the lawyer to look at it and everyone's like, oh, it's the wrong thing to say. <laughs> That's who I'm guessing. Because also okay. she was killed in the murder-suicide, so there could be something there too. 
That's what it's like claimed to be in the paper. So mm-hmm. again, it's I totally think it's none of them now that now that that's planet in my head. So, but that's my guess. Okay, one of the final scenes. It's New Year's Eve, nineteen seventy nine. It loops back to the opening of the episode. It's Willa Fitzgerald and Zach Guilford. Um, hot Mama enters as the bartender. It's the first time we learn her name. It's the first time we hear her actually talk in this episode. Um, and they just had done something bad. We don't know what they mm-hmm. did, but something bad. And they're planning off like they're just having a cocktail. They're going to talk a little, get some witnesses seeing them there. We don't know what they did, but it's uh, sell, sell their soul to the devil sounds pretty good. Um, yeah. Well, but, sell the soul to the devil happens that night. That means yeah. they didn't do oh, anything okay. yet. Yeah, or, yeah, I mean, true. I'm sorry. They didn't sell their souls yet. They did something before that. Um, sure. Which my that guess timeline be, doesn't make sense because they did the sketchy thing before, unless it's sell your souls to prevent the sketchy thing from getting out. Mm, right. Okay. No, no. So what I'm saying is that Verna is the, the Mephisto, the devil. Yeah. So they don't yeah. sell it till that night with her. The before, yeah. my guess would be after the info that we get from episode two is maybe they killed the the guy he was pitching to because Willa Fitzgerald was like, we are going to run through this guy. We yeah. are going to take his. I mean, I. They end up being the big dogs of that. That's the company, right? That's yeah. Fortune, Fortunato. I mean, that's how it, Fortunato, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They end up taking over it. So I don't know. I mean, I would say maybe the, the things that went through my head or maybe they killed him or maybe they somehow had a hand in him dying or um, originally it was something about like maybe they were exhuming the graves. But I don't see that, that, that. I don't see that anymore. I think it might be that they killed him or some or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Verna's saying trippy stuff like we're sitting outside of time and space and like they're talking about the resolution. <laughs> Let's go to Mars, dude. <laughs> yeah. And like the resolution is to change the world. We don't know, but the, the like center of the universe is like sitting at this bar right now. So we need to know like that we need to find out more about it, but we don't have much information. Right. And there is the scene later where Augie is speaking with Roderick. And when Roderick brings it up, he's like, oh, that's like the night. And then he gets cut off. Like, it sounded like he was going to tell us. So obviously something happened where it's infamous, where, you know, he was a he was I guess he I don't know what he is at that time, if he's an attorney yet or if he's a, you know, whatever, if he's probably out of fraud by that point in Mm -hmm. his life. But Whatever it is, he was aware of it. And it's an infamous situation that is unanswered. Okay, so we let's end this episode. The six of them are all dead at the top of the church. We get that shot of them. Um, And then the weirdest thing about both episodes, I think, is this scary jester clown Mm -hmm. in the that doesn't seem like it fits at all before he passes out. I'm like that. We need to find out more about I mean, it was masquerade at the at Perry's thing, but other than that, I don't know. But Kathleen, tell me, what does he say when he's talking to Augie? If he has the disease, he sees hallucinations. So it could be anything. I mean, we're first of all, we do know that when he sees Perry, Augie has no idea what he's saying because Perry doesn't see or Augie doesn't see Perry, but Perry gets right in Roderick's face, yeah. and Augie doesn't flinch. Okay, we don't know if we're dealing with ghosts. We're not we don't know if we're dealing with hallucinations, but the jester thing could just be, I mean, right before he passes out, it could be a mix like it could be. That's what we don't know. The unreliable narrator situation where some of it are hallucinations and some of it is the is the ghost. 
you know, we don't know. Like, obviously, Verna, I mean, Perry could be hallucinating because he was freaking rolling face. But, you know, <laughs> but like, I mean, he was doing all these drugs. But I would say Verna is like, quote unquote, a ghost. I wouldn't consider her a hallucination. But, yeah, you know, Gr- whatever. great point. We'll that is unreliable narrators always got to think about that. So great point. Um, great jump scare. We'll too. find out more. But me. there's yeah. a reason he's hallucinating that there's it's not random. You know what I mean? Even if, if he is hallucinating, it's because of something. So that'll right. be like, a little OK, so you're saying, yeah, it can't just yeah. be some random ass thing. OK, yeah. All right. Moving maybe on. Just, he, the... Maybe he's just scared of clowns, Kathleen. <laughs> I am. Who isn't? OK. The Mask of the Red Death, episode two. Um, we already talked about a little bit about this, but we open with a young Augie. He's a junior fraud investigator. Um, the five graves graves were exhumed, five corpses missing in part of a drug trial, et cetera, et cetera. So there's like obvious, uh, we find out like a ligadone to heroin pipeline. Obviously, it's highly addictive, but marketed as non-addictive. That's like what this episode is about in like in the Roderick and Madeline scenes of this um, Mm -hmm, episode, mm -hmm. but this is the Perry episode. So welcome to the Perry episode. How do we want to start this Perry episode? How do your notes start? Cause mine's are like, mine's, I mean, we, we just got the background from Augie and, and Roderick's conversation in modern time, just saying he was the first one to die. This is where I brought up the, they never found out who the informant actually was. It just kind of kicked us off right into him saying, if there's one thing about Perry, it's that he was fucking crazy. And then it goes (laughs) into like his whole lifestyle, which I didn't actually get all that from the first episode. This Mm -hmm. was like needed for his character development. You saw his little like post-morning orgy, like all that stuff. You meet his, you meet the characters that are going to be linked to him. And the plan starts talking about like the business ideas and what they're going to do with the whole pop-up club. That's like that whole beginning piece. Yeah. Probably not much to jump into there until we get, I think it's just meeting Perry, Perry going to the business meeting and I guess not business meeting. I guess the lawsuit meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, our homie likes eggs, man. And don't mess <laughs> yeah, with his eggs. Fun. But here's my question. Technically, four kids are bastards, right? Yes. Or no, he got ma- Yeah, yeah. How many times was he married? Only once and then to Juno, right? It's two times or... I don't know that mothers, we know that. Right? I think is Frederick that... hates them all. And like so, he calls him what... the bastard. But like he- Perry is like, I'm the bastard's bastard. When Henry Thomas fits the line about like, you're only here because a black my father fucked a blackjack dealer on a yacht and can 25 years ago and you could tell like perry's much younger than the rest of them mm-hmm. it's just how it is like he was an he's obvious 25 mistake. yeah 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 if you're an usher you're an usher it seems you got like the blood, he's probably the, the same old as freaking juno exactly so you can tell like he has a complex and it almost seems like maybe raul does as well um, well, was- that was what I was getting at. Like when they have that conversation where he's asking Napoleon for the drugs and he says, you know, like, listen, man, I know what the deal is. You know, I know it's tougher for the bastards to to get up and show that they're worth something. I was just trying to think in my head, like almost all of them are bastards. Yeah, so it's true. It, it basically what he's saying is if you're not the heiress or the heir to the throne of House mm-hmm. Usher. Then, you know, there's, yeah, whatever. So they're all bastards. But yeah, I mean, like you said, Luke, I wasn't expecting, I mean, we find out they're all wild. I mean, that's the thing. All the kids are wild. Every single one of them. Frederick seems like the most normal, which is crazy. And, you know, the scene where Perry is, you know, he's pitching the nightclub, but then he goes to the, the meeting and he's supposed to be shadowing Frederick. And you can tell Frederick is 
the son, like he's the non-bastard, he's like the heir to the throne. He hates the fact that the youngest kid, quote unquote bastard, is shadow. He's like, you're only here, like Kathleen said, I don't need to re-quote that, but you could tell something was going to go wrong when he's saying we could use one of these factories or one of these warehouses Mm -hmm. for our, our club. And that was a good foreshadowing moment. Dude, it's literally like they're in the meeting and they're like, this place is leaking toxins. This place is all these places. And he's like, huh, huh, let's just build something. Let's do a sex club here. Let's do debauchery. It makes no fucking sense. I'm like, Perry, you were in the meeting. They The reason these places need to get condemned and and torn down is because it's quite literally leaking toxins and poison. I just love the Pim Reaper character. This yeah, attorney is so good. And the scene where he's yelling at Perry for even speaking during the meeting. And then he, you know, he starts spitting out what they answer. To, oh, it's and good. the attorney, the Pim Reaper starts, they're both saying it verbatim together. It's like, you know, that they've been trained, whether it's media, press, attorneys, anything, you know, exactly what you need to say to protect House Usher. And Perry's just like the lone wolf, like young kid just doing whatever the hell he wants. But Mark Hamill is just freaking killing it yeah. as the Pim Reaper. Totally. Okay, let's go to the Leo scene quickly because it's fucking iconic. We've got a few incredible line reads. So he goes there basically asking him to move a bunch of drugs, right? Like, obviously, Leo's like, I got guys, but I don't got guys. Like, I don't have guys to move like that much. Um, but he, and just like the departed with Frederick, he's like, what is this fucking narcos? He's like, well, if you haven't seen it, it's brilliant. You should say it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but is the departed on Netflix? I'm wondering. I'm like, how do they? Do, how do they get? The, I don't like, know. You know what I mean? Because narcos yeah, is on Netflix. Yeah. What makes so you I'm decide? Like, yeah. I don't yeah. know. But I. But when he's like, I'm a fucking stallion. I'm in my prime. You're in your twenties. <laughs> you're eighty percent calm. I can smell it on you. I was like, I- so good. Oh my god. He's and then of course, like, course, yeah. And then of course, like at the end. He's like, all right, I'll get you the Viagra. And he's like, I thought you said you don't have it. He's like, of course I have. I got a reputation. I got that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I Kathleen, I you love Raul Coley. So when we and we yes. love him now, but when yeah. he was in Bly, that was the first time I saw him because I haven't seen iZombie. Yeah. And obviously he's in Midnight Mass and everything. So he became my boy. Yeah. So seeing him from Bly and Midnight Mass. This is a totally different character. Yeah. And it's showing range for our man here. He is cracking me up. He's pure comedy in iZombie. Like he's fantastic. Well, I feel like he's pure comedy, comedy in real life too. I feel yeah, like, he only, oh, like <laughs> he's just mm-hmm. like a comedic man. Is there any chance that they're going to do the whole um, Seven Deadly Sins thing? I know only six kids, but is there any way that they link mm. it to that where like, because uh, my my thought is just like is is Leo lost or is Perry lost? One of them just because of this specific scene, it's making me think Leo maybe and like how he was getting hooked, mm. you know, cheating on uh, his yeah. His I like partner. that. But um, then what would what would Perry be like? So, I would say I, I would I say know. probably Perry would be lost because of the origin. They're all yeah, like it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. they're all greed. Greed could gluttonous. be the house. But what- but I mean, yeah. technically, gluttonous could be gluttony could be the same as lust in a way. Like you could be a glutton for you know you don't have to be. It doesn't have to be about food. It could be overindulging in drugs, party, and life. Everything that can be. Yeah. So, 
they could be similar. I don't know how you do like wrath. Like wrath could be Kate Siegel's character, man. She's she seems pretty relentless. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean Agreed. we could we could go there. Envy would be uh, Tam because she's yeah. like envious of the brother, and she's like yep. weird with the whole. Yes, there's something there, and then greed fits for the whole house, or even if yeah. it's just. I mean, you could do Roderick. six sins, and they're all greed. Who that's would be sloth? That's laziness. Like, is any of them lazy? Maybe that's say, that's Leo. That could, could be Leo. Or Perry, because but Perry doesn't seem like that's the whole thing. Like he's everyone thinks he's lazy, but he's really not. Like I love the scene where Leo is like, bro, once you just once you figure out like what you have in that brain of yours, you're gonna conquer the world. Like you know, and he's saying, you know, once you get it out of your head that this nightclub thing isn't it, but you'll find something, you're gonna be the man. Yeah. You know, so I don't know if if sloth works for parry or not unless it's just like his their perception that the, the siblings have of him um well people, people associate gaming and stuff with laziness so like that works for actually Leo. actually sloth could be frederick just because they do say that he's like an idiot even though he did i thought he did good in the in the meeting even though it's, yeah. it's like you're just co- coached up verbatim what to say yeah, he's media trained by the pym sure. reaper but Pride he could would be, be tough sloth. to pin somebody down for we need more. This is a yeah. great. I love it. Let's mm-hmm. keep this in our brain as we watch three and four, because we need yep. more information on these people. We got so much information on Perry. I can't wait for like everyone to get their own episode and like just dive into their personalities. It's going to be fucking mm-hmm. lit. And this, this is similar to Hill House where we were getting more for each sibling yep. per episode. Like, mm-hmm. I'll never forget, like when we were talking about um, Hill House on the on the pod and we we were like, gosh, we love Kate Siegel's character. <laughs> After she had her own her own episode. Yeah. Um, so I'll just clean up just two quick scenes before we jump back into yes, like another set of bucket. But all that we see is Vic's monkey dies. Mm-hmm. And then Roderick, we, we kind of hinted at that conversation. He's really pushing for these to hit human trials so we could probably save his own life. That's one thing. If you want to say anything, and then Cam- Camille, Camille or Camille, 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 Camille. Yeah, she just watches the court trial and comments that like nobody's there, nobody's going to go back. I don't know how important either of those scenes are. But. Yeah. So I thought for sure, like moving on. Did you have something to say about that, James? All I was going to say is that it was important that it seems like the the, the partner of Vic has a head on her shoulders and isn't really corrupted by the family and she really mm-hmm. does just care about their work you know informant. Vic was what'd you say <laughs> oh informant yeah <laughs> Vic was uh you know putting in the adrenaline and then the partner I forget her name I apologize was saying you know well if the monkey didn't die then the whole thing the whole trial would have been poisoned anyway it wouldn't have been good you can't bring it back to life the whole point is to test the 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 device and um, so, you know, she seems like she has a head on her shoulders and maybe, maybe that could allude to inform, but that also just seems like it's too obvious. And then, um, the, I think there's something that we're going to have to find out about Camille and Vic, like why Camille hates, like there's a scene where the Igby Rigney's character says like, I hate my sister, but I mean, <laughs> Jesus, yeah. you know? And she's like, yeah. I'm going to forget you said that, you know? There's something there, and we'll find it out when we get one of their episodes, I'm sure. Is there anything with Camille and and Tam's husband? Because that's the second time she kind of is like hyper She's watching his workouts and stuff. Yeah, I don't know Agreed. if that's anything. Yeah. Agreed. I think she maybe maybe that's um what is what is the sin that's like um, envy? That would be envy. envy right? 
Yeah. But yeah. I agree that it's probably um Tam. The cuck. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but either way, well, we can talk about that more later if we want. But let's move on to the next piece here. I know we don't have the gym okay. too much longer. So yeah. quick scene, we get a drip on the phone. That's when you're like, I thought for sure he was gonna like touch the drip and be like, Dang, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I really thought that was gonna be like the I I didn't know if he was going to get poisoned by that one little drop or it really was going to be the sprinklers. But he's like, the sprinklers start the fuck fest. Um, And then they're hooking to the tanks. But this is when we get the quick little line where Perry is saying, remember the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. And then we flash back to Roderick and Augie. And it's so interesting because they're like, everything started with Hot Mama at the bar that night. But now they're saying everything starts in the office of Rufus Griswold, mm-hmm. which is so is, uh, like. It's so interesting because I'm like, there feels like there's a bunch of origins, right? In the office with Rufus, whatever they do that night, I mean, it could lead into the hot mama stuff. Or is it back in the day with their mom, Eliza? You never know. But um, so he's the original cocksucker played by Michael Trucco. <laughs> and he's I'm getting down by a young Roddy and, you know. People in pharma show fucked up. We already talked about the pitch. He did a great job. And I think it, you know, appeal to the God complex and you're going to get um, where you need to with some certain men. But this is where we get the first wife, Annabelle Roderick. Is that the first time we get a name drop? And it's the first time we see her, right? We don't see her in one. We only see her in this. No, one, right? that's the first time we see her. Yep. Yeah. So I think you're right. I think it is going to be Camille is the baby crying. And then. Even a young Frederick then is like, shut her up. Like, he hates it. He hate he he would have rather been an only child. For mm-hmm. sure. 100%. Yeah. The more, um, the more interesting in flash- piece of this, yeah, was the Maddie talking, like having that meta conversation Maddie. about algorithms. <laughs> and I guess, isn't that what he calls her sister? He says Maddie, right? I don't know. I don't know. I don't I know, that, but, but I like I Maddie. That. I'm going to go with Maddie. <laughs> I, I could have sworn that he called her Maddie in one of the early kid scenes, but maybe I'm just, maybe I did that for note-taking purposes. Either way, <laughs> Maddie. <laughs> Uh, I've been saying Rod and Maddie like the whole time. Yeah, they do say Maddie. They say Rod. The meta conversation she has about algorithms and the future of algorithms was so just like. Very cool. It was just like there, like talking about like obviously modern day, like Netflix and all that stuff, like algorithm based. So that was a cool conversation. And that really defines her whole character, especially when she gets into the immortality stuff in current day 2023 so this is just like you can it's just building on the base of her character and her personality and what she cares about can i put something on the board i wrote a guess that i think madeline is gonna kill annabelle somehow because we don't know how she dies and i think that Mm. like in this scene like roddy's being super cheesy and she's like gag throwing up hate this Mm -hmm. and i think that like she probably thinks annabelle is softening him and he's always mm-hmm. been kind of the weaker one, obviously, even when they were kids and when they were teenagers and everything, he's softer. So at some point, he does get to be the Roderick we know in current day, which is a savage himself. So I'm going to say that she somehow kills Annabelle. I don't think he knows she killed Annabelle, but I think we're going right. to get that in some sort of uh, capacity. And something I have, a question, I have a question related to Madeline. Um this could have just been a weird line, but earlier I didn't bring it up earlier in episode one when they're when it's it's Augie talking to Roderick and he says like, "Oh, do you want me to go get Madeline? She's in the basement." Was that like a thing? Or did either of you guys pick that up? Uh, basically, he I just took that as like I think he oh, was messing Madeline's with alive. That's what no. I was, that's what I was getting oh, okay. at. I didn't know if it. was I think he was saying like because. 
I think it was because the 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 point was he was saying you've never had me in the room before. Yeah. And I think he was trying to be like, oh, you want to go talk to Madeline? She's downstairs in the basement. Like, I don't know. I, I yeah, but I, that is something we should have brought up. Yeah, that's that was, why it's, I didn't it's something bring that it up. goes by yeah. in your in your head in episode one because you're still trying to get who each character is. Because when yeah. I first heard it, I had to rewind because I was like, is he talking about his mom's in the basement? What's her name? Like, because I, you know, I, I wasn't fully like, is he saying his, he has his dead mom in the basement still? Like, I, I didn't know fully what he was saying. And then I rewound it and I saw Madeline or heard Madeline. So I took it as one it's kind of in drop that they live together. And two, I took it as he says, like, she's even more elusive than me. I'm pretty sure you've never even come close to her. You've never been in a room with me, but you never even like came close to her. Yeah. So I think it was just like a show of that, like, you know, the elusiveness of the Usher family. I, I didn't read too much into it, but it could come back. And that's, and that's fine. That, that's the reason I didn't want to bring it up at all, because it was yeah. probably just meant to be that. But it could come back, you know, yeah. as like a red. I think she's fully the big bad if you want to say big bad mm -hmm. of this family meaning she's the brains roderick's fine like he's like he's now like you said kathleen is savage he's boss man this and that but she you could tell in this episode in this scene specifically luke that she's the the brain she's the genius annabelle calls her a genius i i really do think that it could be that she's the informant just because like she controls everything and just like the fact that she's not happy about Annabelle yeah. softening Roderick, it could just be that she's sick of her brother at this point and she's not showing it outwardly to us. She's right. always lurking. She's always around. She's in every scene where you're just like, are y'all fucking? Is this like a Cersei Jamie thing? What's going on here? I, I, that for I like really, I think Will Fitzgerald, I, I really want to see more of those timelines because I think she was killing it in the scene in the bar scene where she, again, he's kind of being like, what should we do? Like, what do we, and she's like, all right, we're coming here for a drink. We're yeah. here for enough time, you know, and we already talked about it, but she specifically has the whole thing thought out in her head. Yeah. And she's calm, cool and collected. He's kind of freaking out and, and, you know, and she just jumps into the politics talk when the, when Werner shows back up. I, I just, she's the best. She is the I best. Love her. I love Maddie. Um, Quick scene with the AI version of Lenore. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting. So weird. Like, obviously, Madeline is just she's making her like write in a journal and for four months straight and do all these things. And like something seems so like shameless to me to be like she's just obsessed with immortality. So it's like, is this an immortality thing or is this like you're trying to make money off of putting her in a video game or something and like gather data God or complex, what is it? man i think yeah. she's she's just the all-powerful like i'm gonna live forever type i think that's fully what she wants I, f I feel like she just wants to live forever and you know we can jump ahead so i i thought it was hilarious how they brought up the ai writing scripts and and tv oh, shows so and then they're like that's back in the, the the scene where you're talking about luke when they're younger mm -hmm. and Zach Zach Gilford's like can't be that good though and it's just <laughs> crazy how they're having this conversation right now during the strikes yep. where this was obviously written before that and I know it was probably like on the radar that that was the problem coming yeah. but it's just it's just funny how that's dropping now Michael Flanagan what a dude alright so now we're pretty much in party land we don't really need to talk about Bill and Tamerlane and get, unless you wanted to with their like intimate dinner I, I guess my my one question is, who do you think 
she is cosplaying. Is it Tamerlane? Like, is she yeah. imagining them on like a first date? Okay. So I That's wasn't sure I if she was trying to be someone else, like maybe a fucking one of the other siblings. It's not none of the other siblings looked like look like that. But well, I wasn't sure if it... there was going to be someone that she was like watching these two people go on a date or if she was watching herself go on a first date with her husband or like an but isn't it like date. one of those things where sometimes the point of it is that you're a stranger I don't know. I she's like you got the clothes right, you got the like your hair, oh, like things yeah. like that. So it made know. it seem like yeah. she was trying to be something specific. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. Okay, it's not we'll see thing, later. So. I'm sure in her episode <laughs> we're gonna get a fuck ton of it. I'm sure. Okay, so Perry goes to Freddie's house, and do we have a name for the wife? I'm like a real. I didn't write that down for some reason. Um, I don't know. I don't know that we do. I really don't. But anyway, I'm sure she has one, but I'm not looking it up. Anyway, is it a uh, Morel? Could be. I think it's Morel. Crystal Blant, Balance, Morel Usher. Picture Morella Usher. Whatever. The perfect Just cock that. in your hands. <laughs> Start that over again because <laughs> I talked all mouth. over it. <laughs> no, picture the perfect cock in your hands in your mouth or perfect pussy without faces, <laughs> words, or judgment. Like, absolutely insane. But she's um, buying into it. You can tell. Like she's like, "How dare you?" But he knows he's got her. Um, crazy that he has like burner iPhones. Insane. The amount of money these people have. Crazy. But he throws the invite out, and now it's party time. And she does go. So she bounces. She tells them, "I'll be out." You know, my friend. She's in a bad way. Who knows how late we'll be out and lies. And then we're at the fucking party, and uh, hot mom is there in red at some point. But if we want to talk about just in general, the party, let's have a have a discussion on it before we get to the goriest scene of of Flanagan history, for sure. Well, first of all, this is more R rated than Flanagan's ever done in general. Totally. Not a lot of his shows curse a lot. Not a lot of his shows. I don't think any of his shows ever showed nudity before. I think this is the most R rated content Flanagan's done. Obviously, I'm not like upper elite who goes to these parties so i have no idea if these things exist but i thought it was cool how like it, they created like the little app thing and you click on it and it's you know like the scale it's the skull and yeah you click on it and that that stuff was kind of cool but it's it's just wild it's just a freaking rave and i was like i don't know what to talk about except for the fact that the meat of it with verna and also yeah. the wife uh frederick's wife being there okay question did she get out in time? Yes. Yeah. Okay, because you don't see her walk out the door, do you? Just see Hot Mama say go. Yeah, but I'm just guessing. Yeah. Hot Mama gets all the innocence out. So She's, is that what that was? Leaving. Because because it, is it? Yeah. It was the so workers. It's, if it's, if it's going to be about the innocence, then it doesn't necessarily matter about the. It doesn't necessarily matter about the name. It's more about the blood of the ushers because she's an usher. You know Correct. I mean? It is the blood. Right. And I think that she or it's not her time yet. We're going to learn a lot more about this. Like she's going to have to live with be- having been there and like lie to everybody that she wasn't there. Um, but all that footage most likely still exists. So, yeah, true, true. That's a going huge back part. to and what that was you the were purpose saying of it, right? The yeah. Party, like mm-hmm. to get the blackmail and stuff. Yeah. He said we make all this money, but this is the real money maker. All this footage. He's like, this is a. I don't remember, like, this is a senator, and this is a celebrity, and this is a first-round draft pick, and yeah, I mean, that's crazy. Like, there's, I don't care how elite and rich I am, 
if you tell me I'm coming to this party and it's going to be some wild party like this, there's no way that I would I would in my mind think there's no cameras. Yeah, right. I mean, I get it. You're like wearing a mask and all this shit, but it's just I I don't know if I'm like super paranoid, but these people all are all crazy just to think they could do whatever they want. And there's no cameras. Mm-hmm. But Perry is looking to make this into a business and like have multiple of these parties. Yeah, and then he's just going to like, <laughs> yeah, he's just going to blackmail these people. Who's coming to the parties? Like, that's crazy. Unless yeah. it's like a one party, you get millions of dollars out of blackmail and then you call it a day. But millions of dollars isn't enough for these people if they're using iPhones as fucking burner phones. So he goes through them like candy. He's doing like 10 a day, probably. Yeah, I mean, it was a great scene. Just like looking around like crazy to see what I could see. It didn't seem like Frederick's wife actually did anything bad. She was just like shy kind of in the corner. I think she wanted. I think she was going to fuck Perry. She wanted Perry, man. Yeah. She actually Um, looked like she was disappointed when he walks away from her at one point. For Hot Mama. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Verna. Verna, yeah, sorry. I guess I'll start calling her Verna. But and that's the mama. conversation that's left, she right? Is, like, that, is there is there one-on-one conversation that gets pretty philosophical? And this is the conversation, thinking about it more. I, I am on team, like, she's the devil now yeah. because she mm. says, uh, it's always the bad boys that come to me, which makes sense with just the dealing yeah. with the sketchy people that are in the gray lines. Like, all of that works. And she says, like, we would have had a lot of fun. Like, all of this. And I think he's just getting facing the punishment of the Usher curse which is why she says it like that. Like we would have had a lot of fun. Like this could have been a deal I made with you at some point if it was the right timing. So I didn't really take anything else out of that conversation besides Flanagan, just flexing his dialogue writing and letting hot mama act. So it was a good scene. Um, but yeah. I don't know anything else there. No, I just love the Like you're a consequence Perry and tonight you're consequential. And then she bounces and you know, mm-hmm. I-, I mean, glorious gore. Seriously. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. So good. Like I it's October. We're getting this gore. I'm obsessed. Like as I was um really impressed with that. I, I thought it was like really well done. It looked fucking awesome. And they're all just like steaming and still kind the of fact alive. They're still alive. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's beautiful on his face. <laughs> and I think that's Hauntingly beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. I thought that the conversation with Verna was awesome. She's badass character. I love this, the cinematography where she's in this bright red and you're seeing everything's kind of dark in, in the rave besides her. And he's watching her with the bright red, whatever it is, hooded gown thing and uh, cloak, I guess. And then she has the mask, the skull mask that was like very, very noticeable. Mm-hmm. And then she puts it on his face. Love it. And then she tells the wife, go, it was money. Now, here's my question to you. You were bringing up the fact that you thought it, the the water on the phone was going to burn them, but technically, mm-hmm. that was just the that was just the sprinklers dripping sweat, <laughs> dripping wet with sweat. You yeah. know, so <laughs> it's all in um, It wasn't actually the poison water, and then they they line into the to the tanks up on the roof, and then that's where they're getting burned. So here's my question: If it wasn't an usher, and Verna wasn't there. Would that water have burned the water? Sorry. Would that water have burned them like that and killed them? Or do you think it was Verna's circumstance that made it that? No. Like, I, do you I, think? I thought the tanks are po- full of poison. I thought that was the point. I thought this. Maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, why would they be filled with poison? That's insane. But to me, it was like this place is absolutely 
secreting or whatever that word is yeah. poison. What yeah, do you think? No, I, I, I feel it? you. Like that, I, I'm asking the question because I'm not fully sure here. Like I, I think that it would be totally ironic and symbolism if it was really poisoned and he decided himself consciously to go and have this party and then they turn the sprinklers on and it was all his decision to make sure the sprinklers worked and and were hooked up to the tanks and everything was his decision and Verna actually had no part in it. I think it's an irrelevant question. Yeah. Either way, like, yeah. We can't play the what would have happened because this is what happened. I think it's like meant to be like this, like everything was put into place through that deal if that's what happened and like all the consequences are a result of that. Like I don't know if it's even worth like yeah, I don't even know how to answer that into question. anymore. Yeah. yeah. Okay, right. so yeah. I think I can end that by just saying Augie when talking to Roderick is like I dove deep into every single one of your kids' death. They were all like accidental. Like I know you didn't do them and Roddy's like, "Well, let me tell you how I did." Right. So, he's going to have something to do with all of them, but is it like, well, that was my facility and I knew there was poison in there and then he went in there and the poison came down. You know what I mean? Like, No, he Aug- signed the, the, the devil. He signed with the devil. Well, that's why true, he, that's his part. Augie does say everything checks out as accidental. So yeah, yeah, yeah. cops mm-hmm. went and were like, it, it wasn't like, you know, it would be murder if if they thought that someone put actual poison in the tanks and then like it right. wouldn't be accidental if someone put poison in the tank. So at least. Well, that's what I'm. Yeah, yeah. that's what Luke's getting at, because Vern, like the start of this whole thing, everything from the signing with the devil to the moment where Perry dies. The whole timeline exists because they sign with the devil. And, and I'm not saying like she snapped her finger and it was full of poison. But yeah. I guess that's why it's an irrelevant question, because it's like the chicken or the egg. Either yeah, way, it's exactly. poisoned. My last question is. What do you guys think about the fact that it seems like Madeline and Roddy both signed with the devil, but really it's only Roddy that's getting killed like or is getting beat up over this? I mean, it's his yeah. kids that are all getting killed off. Madeline, you know, we don't know fully like does she really love roderick as a sibling she did when she was younger true is she ha- does she have any feelings at all for the kids that are dying does she even really care i would say you know no. what i mean so like to her them dying is probably good because it takes more people away yep. from this business that could screw it up so did roderick and this is assuming I'm right, which we don't even know if I'm right, but like would Roderick have been the only one who signed with the devil or did they both? And we don't really know what happened to Madeline yet. I really like, I like that idea because what if, like you were saying earlier, she's the mastermind. What if she was the one that cooked Roderick into doing the deal on her behalf? So she faces none of the consequences and it ends with everybody dying, but her. Yeah. Roderick is the seven flip. Yeah. 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 And then honestly, it could just be too like, Everyone dies but her, and she thinks she wins. And the one thing she wants is immortality. And then Verna shows up at the end and is like, "You think you got past me, Biatch?" Yeah. And then yeah. she dies. Like that would be cool. <laughs> that would be that cool. Would be really- I wrote that shit myself. Me and me and Mikey, Mikey Flanny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. Final thoughts. I mean, we got through the episodes. That was fucking incredible. I love talking about these shows with you. It's like the highlight of the pod for me. Um. Anything you want to bring up? I no, I think I brought up everything stuff. I wanted to. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. 
Well, that is the episode. Uh, we'll be back with episodes three and four. We're going to, dr- I don't know how we're going to drop these. These should be able to be dropped right away because of uh, having screeners. So um, you should be able to listen to them all like as you guys binge. And we're, and we also have a Discord, which the link is in the bio. So we'll create a Follow the House of Usher Discord chat and we can talk about it if you want. We can talk about it. I mean, like Flanagan, we love it. We have chats for all the shows we cover. So come join our Discord. Um, click the link in our bio. It's a fun time. We'd love to talk to you and hang out. But hit subscribe on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen. You can follow us on socials at Binchtown TV. Give us a follow. Talk to us if you want. Send us an email, TV at gmail.com. Um, yeah, we're having a blast. So come join us for the rest of the episodes. We are Binchtown TV. And thanks for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.